my gorgeous listeners and we have a special treat for you today with a super duper fancy bonus episode um, of the Glow West podcast where we are here to chat all about sex, sexuality and the body and today about consent. I'm your host Dr. Caroline West and as always I'm delighted to be part of the Tortoise Shack Network where you can find tons of podcasts on politics, culture, society, trans rights and of course sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack, or you can drop me a DM on Twitter and Instagram at Glow West Podcast if you want to reach out. Now, we have a very special bonus episode for a great reason, and that is to celebrate the launch of an excellent campaign all about consent. And if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you will know that we are big fans of creating a consent culture and empowering people to talk more openly about consent because it is time. It's overdue. Let's get the show on the road. So joining me today are Charlotte MacGyver and Alex Black from Active Consent, which originates from NUIG. And so welcome along. Thanks, Emil, for joining me today. Thanks Thanks for for having having us here. Cool. So you are launching an eight-week social media campaign entitled Start Here um, and you're partnering with USI which is the Union of Students in Ireland and Galway Rape Crisis Centre. So tell me a little bit about this campaign. What does it entail? So where what this campaign entails is that we're following on actually from our experience running the sexual experiences survey last year in 2020 with the Union of Students in Ireland. And this was the first survey to survey students about their sexual health, attitudes, behaviors in eight years. So we got this huge bank of data to make use of. And signature to what we're trying to do with active consent is find out what is the data, what do people think and want, what do they need, and then how do we deliver it to them. So one of the most striking statistics to us from that that huge survey was that 79% of our students who experience sexual assault, rape, or harassment are going to disclose, if anyone, to a friend. So if that peer network is so important in supporting people as the front line, uh, if you've experienced sexual violence, how can we give students the tools to speak to one another to support someone when you're not a trained professional yourself in that moment? We also know from the survey that students largely don't disclose to staff, which says to us something about awareness of what supports are in the university, you know, the complications of that relationship. So as an academic staff member myself, we're also looking through this campaign to empower staff with basic tips and information so that if they're that front line of contact, they have the tools to actually bring someone along on a longer journey. Yeah, because... You know, if you're in a classroom of 200 people, statistically, you know, there's quite unfortunately a large population there that have experienced some form of sexual violence. And as we know, sexual violence is a spectrum and it can take many different forms um, for lots of people. So you've also designed this really cute little flip card. Alex, tell me about that, what that looks like, because if anyone doesn't know, Alex runs the Active Consent Instagram and is killing it with the graphics that are on there. So really uh, go check it out because it is such a great form of information. So well done you, Alex. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. So the way we designed the card is that, well, we did imagine that we might be on campus by this point. Unfortunately, we're not, so we'll have to live with that. But um, the card, basically, we designed it so that it would be like a little business card you can keep in your wallet or your purse. It folds over, and the front of it says, that statistic that Charlotte's mentioned, that 79% of um, students that have experienced some form of sexual violence told a friend about it. So 
if you're an 18, 19, 20 year old student, like you don't have the training to deal with that effectively. And it's very easy to maybe say the wrong thing, but not even know, because it's a very, it can be quite an overwhelming thing to happen, especially if you've experienced some sort of negative sexual experience or sexual violence yourself, it can be kind of triggering and it can be kind of difficult to know what to say in the moment. So basically we've given them a little starter pack. So that's why the whole name of the campaign is Start Here, because we're like, these are some simple tips about what you shouldn't say and why you shouldn't say it, and also what you could say instead. So. Yeah, I like that one of them is said, um, it says, don't say, oh, you have to report it because, and you explain why, and which is really good because it's just, it's easy to say, oh, don't say this, but the, the mm. reasoning behind it is really good to see as well. So the reason is pushing someone to take action they don't want can be disempowering and re-traumatizing. And maybe they do want to take action, but they're not ready yet because that's a whole mm. process in itself. So you know, like you've got really good things on there saying, do say, I believe you. And when I talk to my students, I'm like, those three little words are more powerful than mm. like, I love you. They're life changing mm. to somebody. So talk to us about that of, you know, that sounds simple, but what does that look like in reality? If you are talking, you know, from an 18 year old disclosing to another 18 year old. So I suppose there's something in there as well about stopping and listening and letting the person unfold the story as they need to. So that I believe you is that, that moment of kind of affirmation to the other person and also to pause, to allow them then to, to go on with it as they wish. You know, I want to say as well that we develop these tips over a period of about six or seven months in dialogue with Galway Rape Crisis Center, who is one of the partners on this campaign as well, because we know when we look at the journey of the survivor and those who support survivors, it is so complex in terms of the choices that people make, their readiness to talk about experiences. And this campaign and this card also follow covers, you know, what happens in terms of a case of sexual harassment. And we know from the SES survey that for students, only 7% of males 17% of females and 24% of non-binary students ask for advice or support after experiencing that on campus, yet uh, an incredibly high percentage of them do experience sexual harassment during their time. So encouraging everyone to say, you know what, this, this happens, you know, let's speak up about it. And if you are holding that speaking up for someone else, start with, I believe you, and then let the conversation evolve. It's really, one really yeah. important thing that I think <clears throat> the kind of like by like showing the importance of saying I believe you is that I think often what can happen is that as a friend and as this kind of support system for your friend you really kind of fall into this trap of trying to fix it I mean like what can we do what how can I help you with this how can we fix it and we'll make it go away when in fact it's such a process if you've experienced any sort of sexual violence or negative sexual experience even something like street harassment anything that's just impacts you negatively and it's such a process about kind of healing from that and processing it that having someone literally just there to listen to you and say like, I'm here for whatever you need. And we don't need, we don't know what that is necessarily just yet, but we'll find out. So I think it's very powerful just to kind of say the importance of just listening and just being there, like cannot be overstated. 
Absolutely. And I think that that it goes, like you're saying, it's complicated and sometimes you're struggling to name things and unpack what's kind of gone on. And maybe you're not ready to name it as sexual violence because that's kind of part of it. And I know that's been my experience when when experiencing sexual violence. I didn't have the language sometimes or, Mm -hmm. you know, so if someone had said, oh, that's sexual assault, you need to go to the guards. I would I wouldn't have been ready because I wasn't ready to admit, oh, I am a victim of sexual Mm -hmm. violence and that it just would have been too big too too Mm -hmm. overwhelming to kind of get to that point but maybe you know down the line that would have been different but at initial disclosure time that's kind of a big thing completely and even I think one huge thing that almost stops people from disclosing or talking about it is that they often like when we use words like violence and assault and rape like people just often don't relate with those words because they're like that's too big like and they really kind of can minimize what's happened to them but we know from like we have statistics from the um sexual experience survey that show that a lot of a lot of the reasons that people don't disclose is things like oh they didn't think it was that big a deal they didn't think people would take them very seriously they kind of just brushed it off as a joke when in fact like like sexual violence and harassment is very all-encompassing from the very minute small things that you might think are not that big a deal to much more kind of maybe more serious um, incidents of what we think of when we hear sexual violence. And that's one thing actually, that when we were doing the sexual ex- experiences survey, one thing is that whenever we were asking people about their different experiences of sexual violence, one terminology we used, and Charlotte will be able to speak to this much better than me as the research head, but that we used, um, we said non-consensual penetration by force, threat of force, or incapacitation. So if someone had experienced that or attempted, and one thing that people ask is like, well, why not just say rape? But the thing is that people often just don't identify with that because they think, well, I'm not a rapist or I'm not someone that's been raped. Like, cause they have this idea in their head of what a victim looks like, what a perpetrator looks like. When in fact, we know that that's not, that's not always the case. So I think Charlotte might be able to speak to that quite well. No, I think it's well said, Alex. And I want to say, too, something we're very excited about as part of this campaign is we're going to be releasing four short videos that take the the conversation and the tips on the card and turn them into, I suppose, little plays through text message where we see a conversation begin to play out between two people where a friend begins to disclose using kind of euphemistic language, not coming out and saying rape, not saying non-consensual penetration because 18 year olds don't say that. Um, But we see kind of maybe the first jump or reaction someone might make within that conversation in a more casual format as sometimes these things get folded out that way. But then we show kind of alternative language that can be introduced there via the card. And I think our approach with active consent and through this partnership is always to speak to people gently and dialogically, to not shame people, to say, okay, what is the thing that we jumped to maybe? What if we took a step back to think about it? And what might be clearer or more useful conversation tips um, to, to help both people in that moment of starting here? And I think it's important too to say that the name of the campaign is start here because this is the tip of the iceberg, right? You're not going to pick up this card or see one of our videos and become an expert, but you can learn more through doing the open access to our e-learning module, active consent, also based on further data from the sexual experiences survey. You can sign up as a student for online disclosure training with GRCC dates to be announced during this campaign. And we're also about to launch a longer extended staff disclosure training with Galway Rape Crisis Center. But often we find doing this work that people get so intimidated by these issues, they shy away altogether. So we want to give them this entry point 
And then hopefully they'll continue to build their knowledge or have it in their literally back pocket when they need it. Brilliant. Yeah, so I think you're making really good points there about empathy and how we can look after each other and that kind of compassion we can have in our society. And that's part of the building block of consent culture. Whereas what we have at the moment is rape culture where there's a lot of victim blaming and you know the the hashtag that I, I teach my students is like oh why I didn't report and people are saying well I was at, when I disclosed to someone I was told well were you drinking did did you lead them on um what were you doing going home with that person like oh well, sure we all know you're a bit of a, a so-and-so or whatever and it's like I think it's really nice to to name that and make that overting and say, look, this is actual victim blaming. And the the result of that is people don't report and then they keep all that inside and then struggle with it for, for a longer period of time than what's necessary. So do, do you see this approach as really kind of being able to break down that victim blaming culture that we have, especially in Ireland? But this is a global issue as well. Yeah, I think that's precisely what we're taking aim at. And also, you know, we're not excusing us all for being immersed in rape culture and not having the tools to deconstruct it. But we also have to recognize that where people are starting from and when they say that, oh, were you drunk or whatever, it's not necessarily coming out of badness or out of a desire to buy into rape culture, but because of all these deep condition beliefs behaviors, languages that jump up in a moment if you're not prepared, I suppose, or have given it this kind of thought. So that's absolutely where we're coming from, wouldn't you say, Alex? Completely, because we know that, especially if it's coming from your friend, it's just that idea that people think of rape and sexual assault as something so horrific and so awful that whenever it actually does happen, like they can be very reluctant to actually associate it that way, even with, say, a friend, because often this happens like as with a lot of the time is that it's your partner, it's your boyfriend, it's your girlfriend, it's someone that you've been seeing, it's a friend of yours, like that's who the perpetrator is. And people can be very reluctant to think of those terrible things that we think of rapists and sexual assault and associate that with someone that they love, that they trust, that they care about. And that can be quite jarring. So it's very kind of normal to try and think of some other reason, like there must've been some sort of reason for this miscommunication to try and explain it away. And we're just trying to give people the tools and just the kind of nudge in the other direction about why this would, why something else might be more helpful, while it's more helpful to say, like, I believe you and listening without judgment, whether or not you're, the person was drunk, doesn't matter if they're drunk, they still don't deserve these things to happen to them, so. Absolutely, they deserve a hangover, that's about the extent, and maybe hopefully they don't have a hangover, but like literally, you know, if someone's drinking, the expected result is a kebab, or throwing up, or a, a messy night, not sexual assaults, you know, that, Completely. that's, it's slightly wild that we still have to say that, but um, important too, but when you're talking there about the friend aspect of like, you know, maybe if we're in a friend group, and, and there therefore we know the perpetrator, and we might be friends with them on different levels, what you also say in the card is um don't say things like oh I'll kill them you know I'll get revenge on them or I'll beat them up for you or something like that so why do you stress that on the cards well one of the reasons is that basically those kind of and it comes very naturally it's very normal to be overwhelmed by anger or to be really upset or to just be very irate if, if a friend is disclosed to you it's very normal to want to protect them but the thing is that then it's, it's just basically very eye-focused kind of language to be like, I'm so angry, I'm going to kill them. 
and then you can you then end up putting the person who's had this negative sexual experience you're then putting them in a position to try and comfort you first of all which shouldn't be happening because they're the one who have gone through a potentially quite traumatic event and also it's it's just the escalation of like i'm so angry i want to hurt them like i'm gonna kill them i'm so angry that then suddenly your friend is the one comforting you trying to de-escalate they might regret having told you because they don't want to make it into a huge thing because it's a very overwhelming thing to happen first of all is to have experienced some sort of like sexual violence or sexual misconduct and then suddenly now they have to worry about the aftermath about friends and the what's going to happen after that so that's why we put that one in there yeah, and to pick up that point about reporting that we reco- that we covered earlier, you know, at the moment, at the initial moment of disclosure, people are likely not ready to know what path they're going to take or even have thought through entirely what they need. So it's about slowing down the process in that moment. And, and as Alex said, making it about them, because, you know, when people, the, the moment of first disclosure, we know is so important in determining the kind of healing journey someone is going to take and whether it plays out over months or years. Um, so again, it's all about the, the mutual support of each other in that moment, but really the empowerment of the person who has experienced the incident. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, but you also mentioned looking after yourself too, because you know there, there can be a kind of a secondary trauma sometimes from listening to someone else's trauma, especially if we feel like, oh God, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do. Or maybe it brings up your own experiences of going, oh, this person is naming this as a non-consensual activity, but I've had that experience too. So, oh, does that mean I'm a victim too? And sometimes we just bury these things and we don't name them because it, it can be really difficult and you know there's no shame in, in that that's just what happens but so how can people look after themselves then if, if they do feel upset by someone disclosing to them because that that's a very common response a feeling of being upset for them and maybe for yourself also <laughs> well one thing that we do want to really point people to toward, um, throughout the campaign and it's something that Go Away Rape Crisis Centre were really highlighted for us is that people often think that the Rape Crisis Centre is just there for survivors or victims as, an, as a resource and while that's absolutely true you can ring the Rape Crisis Centre say if you had a friend come to you and disclose to you and tell you about that they had been assaulted and as you said like that's a lot to handle very emotionally can be quite draining, especially if you've had an experience yourself, like you said. So you can ring the Rape Crisis Centre and you can say, hi, I'd like to talk to somebody and explain what's happened. Like those resources are there for you as well, because like you said, like sexual assault and sexual violence, it's like a ripple effect. It kind of, it'll touch you and then it'll affect you. And you have to sit with that information then and it might make you look at your own experiences differently. So like the the support services are there. And when people also think Rape Crisis Centre, they might think, oh, it's not that big a deal. I would just be getting in the way. But that's exactly what those support services are there for. And they're there for you as well, even if you were just the person doing the listening. And I think it comes back to that thing as well of naming, that even if you are receiving a disclosure, that is still a weighty experience, you know, that it is going to take some time to process, whether that's through a walk, whether that's through yoga, whether that's through calling the Galway Rape Crisis Center, um, whether that's through doing some coloring, I don't know, you know, there, we could make a list of and problematize all the self-care tips we're so used to circulating these days, um, particularly during the pandemic. Um, but again, it comes back to naming and I'll also give a shout out to staff here. I was in a 
briefing session with senior management and staff at NUI Galway a couple of months ago with Padraig, one of the other co-leads on our active consent project. And one of the staff members said, you know, we're talking a lot about students, but this brings up stuff for staff that we may not have processed that we're still experiencing. And indeed we've moved more with an active consent. We have now designed a staff training program um, that we're rolling out here over this semester. And I guess the point is that rape culture affects all of us. People have unprocessed experiences that they may not have had the language for then that they may be suddenly introduced to now, but you're trying to support this other person, do your job and process that experience. So let's just name that these things take time to process, to heal, and there are different journeys to understanding there. Absolutely. Like we have a long history in Ireland of just not talking about sexual violence and hiding it away and just not being open and harming survivors we have a lot of intergenerational trauma to deal with as well so I suppose not blaming yourself is is a really good start to that because you know we're all products of our society but we can take just tiny steps to to change it and if we all take those tiny steps to change it we we make it actually a huge difference like we're saying like that those three words I believe you are such a tiny thing but they're so impactful and you know, that person might live to be 100 and they'll still remember you were that one person who said those three little words and changed the course of their entire life, perhaps, you know. So I think, yeah, we can all do those tiny, tiny little things. So um, I suppose that question we talked about, like saying like, oh, you have to report things and, and your advice is to say not do that. But are there different ways that people can support if they want to you know maybe encourage the person to go okay look at like there is different support out there or maybe it can might be something like just buying them a takeaway because maybe they're not eating right at the moment or you know because they're so upset or make sure they're drinking their eight glasses of water a day or whatever happens to be but how can how can you find out um what you need to do to actively support someone in a, in a very calm non-judgmental kind of way i think it's asking that question what do you need? I love that idea of gifting a takeaway um, or, or a small gesture like that. Also quite concretely then, you know, we're, we're talking within a college context here. So we give the person, the listener, you know, the, the roots that they likely may take within their university and the community, which is perhaps refer their friend to student welfare on campus, to perhaps refer them to counseling service, um, to perhaps refer them to the dean of students. And again, each college is going to have a different internal reporting system following on from the consent framework. But then also to give them those numbers for the rape crisis center that is local for the guardie for the sexual assault treatment unit so that they can at least see the resources laid out, see, see the paths they could take. So our campaign webpage, when you click through the post, takes you to all those links. So I suppose then once you hand those over, it's continuing to listen to the person in terms of the path that they take. And we can't predict how that is going to go in the long term, but even just beginning someone on that journey, because I think when we, the three of us do this work for a living, so we're immersed in these, you know, what you do, where you go, but that knowledge may feel inaccessible or distant for a lot of people. So even that first step of saying, here's everything in one place. So you don't have to like be Googling too much and go down a hole is a help we hope completely and even as a little extra step what what could be a great idea is that we'll we'll have that whole list of resources but also there's not you if your friend doesn't feel ready to even contact student counseling or contact welfare it's like okay well i'll do it for you 
and I'll ring up and see what sort of supports are there available for someone who's had this kind of experience. Because like it's little things like that, that it could just mean like some, for some people, even making a phone call is stressful. Like, never mind if you've experienced Absolutely. sexual violence of some description. So it's like, okay, well, I'll t I'll take the phone call and I'll find out everything that you need to know, and then you can decide from there if you want to go any further. Absolutely. Or walking them over. I've done it for students. I've done it for friends and colleagues, and just so I love that. Like, call, get the information, walk them over to the place, and sometimes that's the bridge that it takes, and then you know things flow more after that. Yeah, because that can be a very stressful journey. It might only be 10 minutes of walking, but it might feel like an absolute lifetime because then you're going in and life changes once you engage with that kind of service. And that can be very overwhelming. So, you know, but walking someone to somewhere doesn't seem like that much effort for us if we're in that more, I suppose, supportive role, you know. So again, the little tiny things that we can do like a, a 10 minute walk with someone might literally be the thing that takes them into being able to empower themselves. So yeah, that's really important to name that. So, um, so you have, you're, you're going to, it's going to be an eight week social media campaign. Um, when are we starting? It's the 1st of March, right? So we're starting on the 1st of March with a launch at 11 AM with, um, NUA Galway president, um, Kieran O'Hogata is going to speak. We're going to have representatives from Galway rape crisis center, Union of Students in Ireland, Active Consent, um, and our own NUI Galway Welfare and Equality Rep as well. So the campaign launches that morning. We'll also be um, seeing a video from Minister Simon Harris in support of the campaign coming out that morning. And our hope really is to use that launch, that start day as a platform from which to launch as wide engagement as we can across the whole higher education system um, for people to spread the message far and wide by following us, by resharing our posts, by using the hashtags start here and I believe survivors and maybe going deeper into the content like the online trainings and the e-learning module. Okay. And we will have a link to the launch and, and, you know, the notes of the show as well. So if anyone that wants to come along, um, you know, feel free, there's, there's enough space for everybody to, to come along. So that's really awesome. Um, so your eight weeks on social media campaign, you know, are you, you're putting up like the graphics that come up from active consent. I just love it. It's just a lovely, um, it, accessible, I suppose, form of information, but you're putting up videos as well. Is it, was that right? Yep. So it's, and thank you so much. It's very much, it's a lot of fun to run the active consent Instagram and social media. Um, that basically, so uh, we've taken the tips that are on the card. And as Charlotte's mentioned, we've kind of translated them into like a text conversation. So you can see what a disclosure might look like over text. And once again, it's all very soft language because we don't want to throw anyone in the deep end when they're just scrolling through their phone and they just see an ad pop up. But um, <clears throat> along with, the, with that, we do have eight weeks of content to fill. So come to our Instagram, come hang out, come sh share stuff because there's gonna be a lot to talk about. We're gonna be talking about a lot of different things. Then we'll be kind of going into each tip as well about like why we say do this, why we say don't do that. And that'll be its own post as well. We're hopefully gonna have um, some more video content even from some welfare reps or people that are just, that are actually the support system there for you, have some video content from Galway Rape Crisis Centre. And we're really excited about everything that's gonna be happening over the eight, next eight weeks. So do come and join, do follow us. Yeah, and we made the decision for eight weeks because this is a, a big and complicated topic, you know, and we're giving you pithy tips. We're giving you a place to start, but to be responsible uh, as members of, of this community, we also wanted to give the space to reflect, 
to go deeper to allow the full capacity of the partnership with Union of Students in Ireland and um, Galway Rape Crisis Center to have space to, to speak and to reach as many people as possible. Absolutely. There's only so much you can do in an hour long workshop or on one post and stuff. But if we're creating that space and for people to engage with, that's really nice. And I think it's important to note as well that this is gender neutral. It's open to all genders. And sometimes people shy away from consent classes because they might think it's like, oh, male perpetrators and, and female victims. But that's not the case because anyone can perpetrate and anyone can be a victim. So you're very much gender neutral and open to everybody. And in fact, there, you know, there's a much higher rate of men not disclosing sexual misconduct, assault, rape, uh, or harassment. So 35% of female students didn't disclose, but 49% of male students didn't disclose. And then we have 25% of non-binary students had also not disclosed, but but men are, are really in the lead there in terms of not disclosing. So we're also trying to break down the culture around these conversations of seeming that it's only about a male female binary it's only about heterosexual couples so you know even you'll see in our videos we've designed them very carefully so that the gender or the sexual orientation of the person is not explicit right you know we may read or project onto that because of the culture in which we live in but we're always trying with an act of consent to make the message as inclusive as possible so we can all heal together Absolutely. And the, it, breaks, it breaks your heart to say that almost half of male victims are not disclosing. Like That's such a high number. And, uh, you know, I think it's a very toxic society as well that doesn't allow men to come forward and say, hey, I've been a victim of assault. And is, is there, you know, is there a way to maybe increase that a little bit more? Obviously, this campaign is going to take huge strides in, in looking at that. But the thing, the messages that we tell ourselves about what a victim looks like, how can we change that up so we do make a better and more friendlier society for for male victims to come forward i think it's just about just opening up that conversation so much more because like as you said it's so easy to fall into the trap of women are victims men are perpetrators and we just know that isn't true and because that's a reason why a lot of young men just don't engage sometimes with this kind of material because they're like no that's just going to call me a rapist and I don't think I'm a rapist and they might have had some negative sexual experience happen to them that they're not even processing properly and they're not even going to engage with the material that might help them because of just this kind of tunnel vision idea of like well that's just going to make me feel bad about myself and it's going to tell me these things about myself that aren't true so I think it's just about always keeping that conversation as open as possible because there's people that are falling through the cracks. And while we might have an idea of the sort of, of the sort of people that have experienced sexual violence or an idea of the sort of people that have perpetrated it, it's so underreported as it is. So like there's this, there's so much unknown about the people that experience sexual violence that we don't want people to slip through the cracks just because the messaging doesn't appeal to them. Yeah, and I would say on that, I mean, one of the difficult and sticky points we're dealing with all the time doing this work and coming from a sex positive and inclusive perspective is that we do know that the majority of perpetrators statistically, whether from Irish or other international surveys, are male. However, that doesn't mean that there are not male victims and survivors of sexual abuse as well. So we have to name both things together, you know, and, and it, you know, we're not excusing or being apologists for sexual violence in any way, but we have to like extend that invitation gently and in a way that has thought 
behind it, has intention behind it. We think down to every word that we use in order to maximize um, the inclusivity and it's not perfect. We're not there yet, but I think Alex's port about, uh, point about under-reporting, the cultures of toxic masculinity that, that, that shore up certain um, ideas about what a victim looks like and whatever, we have to chip away at it bit by bit invitation by invitation. And we hope that um, male students, male academic staff, um, everyone working in the sector, you know, sits up, pays attention and sees that, that we're speaking to everyone, really. It's an invitation. So come join us. Absolutely. It's just fantastic to see see this rolling out. So where can people join you if they want to come along? And it's a very open, calm, like fun. I want to say fun. The graphics are kind of fun and everything else. And we do need a little bit of fun, even though it's a serious conversation. But, um, you know, fear based work doesn't get get us anywhere. And, and you guys definitely don't take that approach, which is great. So where can people find yourselves if they want to get involved in this campaign? So there is going to be a campaign webpage on NUI Galway's website and Union of Students in Ireland website. The handle for the NUI Galway website when it launches will be www.nuigalway.ie backslash active consent backslash start here. We'll give it to you for the notes, uh, Caroline. But you can follow us most immediately on active consent at NUI Galway on Facebook, active consent on Instagram, active consent on Twitter, and please follow our partners, USI and GRCC as well. Am I missing anything, Alex? No, I think that's about right. And we're inviting people to use the hashtags, hashtag start here and hashtag I believe survivors. And yeah, that, that just to touch back on what you said, Caroline, it's so important to us to take a kind of positive approach because even though we know we're talking about the nitty gritty of sexual violence every day, and that's not always the most fun conversation, but we find that even when we are talking about that more serious subject matter, it's like, okay, well, what positive action can we do now? What good things can we do? And how can we invite people in to this positive action? Because we just find that if we, if you can twist it that way, it's just, it's a lot more optimism and it's a lot more hope. And we have to talk about optimism and hope if we're ever going to dismantle rape culture, because it's a monolith. We need to talk about the hope and the optimism that there is in restructuring these kind of thoughts that we have. Absolutely. You can also request the cards if you would like a copy to have by yourself in your social isolation um, at activeconsent at nuigalway.ie and RSVP for the launch on Eventbrite. Brilliant. Uh, look, I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to have been able to, to chat to you today and to see this happening. It, like it really is the start of a whole new world where we just normalize these kind of conversations about consent. And then by doing that, we really dismantle a kind of a negative culture and build that more positive consent culture. So thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you know, as a survivor myself, it's just lovely to see this kind of coming through. And we know I'm, I'm far from the only one in this country or around the world. So there's there's a lot out there so I know I really do appreciate that this work is is coming on so and I know that some of the listeners might be in this kind of situation as well there are supports out there for yourself regardless of gender and sexuality you can visit www.rapecrisishelp.ie um, or you can go to the Garda website so that's um, www.garda.ie and that, that will give you different resources about how to report if that's where you want to go and again like we said follow the active consent handles for lots and lots of tips and advice so um hopefully i will see you at the launch and thanks emil for listening today you can dm me on twitter and instagram at glow west podcast if you want to chat further if you miss any of the links or something comes up for you i can point you in the right direction of the right service that comes up there so thanks emil and we will see you next week